Chapter 19 The arrogance is proof you're one of us, chimed the myriad whispers of the Mistmers. The arrogance of thinking you could hide from us. Well, at least you've got self-awareness, Crow muttered Dolly, aware not even the closest ones would hear them. That's probably something that makes you and I quite different, after all. They were even hoarser now. The mares allowed them a drink, occasionally, but not often enough. At least that obsession with water took their mind off the chafing vines around their legs and arms eating into their skin. It felt as if something was moving underneath the vines, something Crow did their best to ignore, chose to see it as an effect of the tightness of the skin-losing sensation. It would be easy to just shut out the jabs and strange statements occasionally thrown their way, but responding kept them here. An approximation of conversation made them feel a little bit more like a person, less like being matter being shaped into something else. Your ender cannot save you. Your illusions are dissolved. Their voices ran like a wave around the whole cave hall. The place must be massive. You hid from us. Yeah, sorry about that. Crow croaked. Hope you like looking at the real me. They let a wry smile flash over their face, but regretted it as it threatened to pull apart their dry lips even more. Disparate whispers shot out of the horde of mist mess, something Crow had noticed happening now and then, the only time any sign of individuality emerged from the mass. Suddenly, the individual whispers turned into shouts, all repeating the same word. Lightborn, 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 they chanted over and over. Yes, I'm bloody aware. Crow roared, regretting that more than everything. Something probably broke in their throat. The mass fell completely silent. It was even worse than the weird chanting. You can't escape your fate, bird. They suddenly answered in their perfect unison. Seems like it. Crow whispered. They rested their half-closed eyes on the legion of wet beads staring back at them from the fire-licked darkness around them. Pale eyes in hollowed, dark sockets. These eyes had been tracing the lines of their body since they decided to look again. Probably since they got here. Even before that. Crow had had a recurring picture in their mind since they got captured. They could see the beams of their life falling, the walls of a castle dropping like wet paper into heaps around them, landing like glue on their skin. It was claustrophobic and felt like falling at the same time as if they were tumbling up into the sky. Finding a reason for not allowing that to simply happen was getting very difficult. A long time ago, in Vilblum, they had promised Mirva to never wish for death again, to fully take responsibility for the fact that they were the only one who could change an act in their life, that they were the actor in their reality, that they were not a victim of their own life. I'm sorry. Lydica's first impulse had been to protest, as if he could change reality if he just told it no loud enough. He heard what Vesh said, 
but he didn't want it to be true. He had thought that what Vesh had seen back at a tavern had made him find out about Aeditus, about Egalin, knew what Legikai had done. The truth had, somehow, managed to be worse. But he also felt at his absolute limit for being overwhelmed. The result of that limit seemed to be a slow, lucid clearness. Now, in that uncommon clearness, he was trying to cope with the fact that Crow was the one who had murdered that Ori in the tavern. That was what Vesh had told him and Taran. He could tell there was noise around him, voices talking, but right now it was as if a membrane had formed around him and his emotions. He was in a bubble, distant, trying to stitch everything together in a different way than it had been before. Taryn had a much different way of sorting her realization and her thoughts. She was absolutely livid. When Vash had told them about Crow, she had simply marched out of the cave and yelled up into the morning sky. There hadn't been just anger in it. Vesh sat on the cave floor, legs folded underneath him, eyes dark in the light of the small fire in front of him. Okay. Taryn said, back inside now, talking in an efficient voice bordering on frantic. Something has obviously happened to Crow. I mean... She shook her hands in front of her, annoyed at herself. Moons, obviously something has happened, but I mean, it must be the Ender, right? There's absolutely no logical explanation for Crow doing something like that. She was ripping skin off her lips with her teeth when she stopped talking. Do we... do you know them well enough to make... draw that conclusion? Vesh said. What? Taryn cried. Voice reaching an octave it usually didn't frequent. What's that supposed to mean? Of course we do. If they were prone to this sort of thing, someone would have noticed. Right? Vesh recoiled slightly at the volume of her voice. Right, Lidgy? She said, just as sharply, when Vesh didn't give her an immediate answer. Lidikai slowly looked up at Taryn. The aimless confusion in his eyes seemed to cut her anger in half. Oh, honey, she said softly, kneeling next to Lidikai, taking his head in her hands, and then pulled him in for an embrace. His arms responded a little too slowly, and couldn't perform the same soft patting that Taryn was doing on his back, but rather hung there, barely touching the coarse linen of Taryn's blue robe. She leaned back grabbing his bony shoulders, looking at him more sternly. He waved for her to remove her hands and shook his head. I'm fine, he muttered. Great, okay, fantastic, Tyron said suddenly, standing up. Then you are about fifty times better than I am. Maybe you can decide what in the moons we're supposed to be doing if you're so bloody fine. Do neither of you realize that we have absolutely no idea where to go from here? She snapped, which only made the complete silence after it all the more tense. She let out a long breath through her nose, pinching her eyebrows. Also, her voice was quieter, and Lidikai felt a chill go down his entire spine. He knew that voice. It was her disappointed one. Other things were important at the time, obviously. But how tight-lipped you've been about leaving Ailitis has turned a bit less nostalgically charming when the fucking ribs of Calopis recognize you by sight, Lydgy. The chill in his spine spread to his jaw, nailed his feet to the cave floor where he sat, placed a vibration that quickly turned to tremors in his fingers. You want to stay quiet about it? Go ahead. But I don't... Her exhaustion seemed to catch up with her, her voice turning hollow. I don't like it. She almost whispered, before deciding for him if now was the time to talk by marching out of the cave again. Lilikai stared after her. 
Vesh was poking a charred stick into the dying embers of the fire. I understand, I sympathize with her desire to want to want to see a good reason for Crow's actions, Vesh said. Lydikai swallowed loudly. For a few breaths, he wondered if the last ten breaths had actually happened, if he was losing his grip on Runa completely, tripping over into other realms, one hallucination at a time. Then he noticed the deep furrow between Vesha's eyebrows. How pointedly he did not look at Lydikai. How deliberate the return to a previous topic of conversation was. Of course, Lydikai said, trying to keep the tremor out of his voice. All we can do is find out, I suppose. They both looked towards the mouth of the cave. Seeing Taran's tall silhouette against the morning sun, waiting for them to join her. Vesh reached out, hand hovering over the embers, and wrung some water up from the ground, quickly dousing it. Then he stood up and went to join Taran. Lydikai was grateful he had been left alone for a few breaths. The simple magic Vesh had performed had, by its contrast to it, reminded him of the destruction he caused the night before, and it had almost made him fall over as he stood up. He had been too shattered during the night to be surprised at Vesh wanting to be close to him. Now he realized that the Fogwalker might not be aware what had happened. He might have been unconscious through it all, and Taran might not have told him. He quickly realized that if he didn't use whatever energy he had left to ignore all of this, he would fall over never to stand up again. It was to be swallowed down for now. There was no other option if he was also supposed to move. I have an idea, Vesh said, once they were all standing outside of the cave, everyone an awkward Ori's length apart, unconsciously aware of how volatile they all were right now. And neither of you is going to like it. Suddenly, a cacophony of hoofs, cheers and roars shot through the entire horde of mistmares. This was a new sound. The mass of pale faces parted like ants for a stream, between them emerged a single mist mare, making its way up to Crow, taking its time, studying them with every step. Grey fur reached almost all the way up to the chest of the emaciated Ori torso coming out of the sinewy, starved horse body. But this mare had no hair on its head. Part of its bristle-like fur and half of its Ori torsos and head skin was burned off. That must have hurt. Crow recognized this man. Ninkern. They'd still been able to hide themselves from the mass then. Before almost losing consciousness due to the blood loss, they had seen Lydikai's destruction of the mass. Been impressed, admittedly quite intimidated, and had also seen one of the mass survive and flee. This man. It had felt like a victory then. Now it was obvious how much of a delay of the inevitable it had been. This mare spoke with its own voice, and that was what finally made Crow feel fear. And they couldn't tell why that was. Its booming voice felt like claws around their spine, and panic crept up like little spiders all over Crow's body. They wanted to scream. The mare was so close, Crow could taste the rot-smelling breath hissing out of it as it spoke. Death crept like a miasma around this creature. That you would trust a creature like the Eilitis Diane with your plight, the mare said, drawn out 
sounding as if it took great effort for it not to shout what it said in a crow's face. That is what is disappointing about you, crow. Their own name sounded like a curse spat from its mouth. How ironic. Crow lost their breath. The mistmare's hand was suddenly in Crow's mouth, digging through it, tearing mucous membrane with its jagged nails, curling around their tongue, finding what it was looking for, clawing it out. Blood welled up, filling Crow's mouth and poured down the sides of it as the sharp little blue crystal's hiding place was destroyed. The shard glimmered between the mare's blood-soaked fingers as it spun it in the light from the many fires around the hall. Crow spat out a chunk of blood and ripped away soft tissue, hitting the grey fire on the chest of the horse body of the mist mare. It slowly ran down the ridges of jutting bone. A furious grin tore across the mare's angular face. I don't trust her. Crow said through clenched, bloody teeth. I expect her to have at least five ways planned to deceive me, and I'll be sorely disappointed if that's not the case. They continued, trying to hold on to physical pain to stay conscious. Honestly, I'm so used to you never catching up with me that this little snatching away business... I thought it was her doing it first. They looked up at the mare, but regretted it instantly. It was like staring on the soul of a starved wild animal. You know why you are sought after, Lightborn, the mare said, taking a step back from Crow. It started gesticulating as it spoke, turning the creature slightly less into the manifestation of an assault, more of a person. It wasn't an improvement. I take it you know why we need you. But did you think we are the only ones to find uses for you? Mistmares battle the whole of Runa in the shadows when news of a lightborn reaches us. Every one of the moonless nights we stay vigilant in our hunt. Six nights of hunting, racing against enemies both old and new. You're the new blood of Mistmares. The one who will strengthen our bond to our home. At the words, a sewing went through the horde, dissolving into smattering of teeth, clicking of tongues. Crow wanted nothing but to be able to hold their ears. They were sure it was just fatigue playing tricks with their senses, but it felt as if the movement underneath the vines around their body heeded the leader's words, digging further into them. As the chattering died down again, the leader turned around from pacing about, grinning at Crow as it continued. Tell me, Lightborn, did you stop to ask, at any point, what the Diane needs your Raptuya for? The mist mare paused, and Crow wished it had done so at any other point in its speech. It made it impossible not to think about him. All of them. A clump formed somewhere in Crow's chest. No, I didn't ask, but I don't care. Crow spoke rapidly. She helped me. I fucked that up, so I owed her. I'm paying that back. They didn't mention the newly realized fact that they might not, in fact, have fucked anything up that first time. Because Mirva was alive. Mirva was alive. You already are predictable, powerful and old, or not. She wants the Ratoya for the moon he was born under, but you are part of that need as well. You are not simply her little tool. Did that not cross your mind? You bring the Ratoya to her? She snatches you both up. Her want for you is what brought us out under the moons. Her hunt for a lightborn caused us to abandon the vines before it was time. Ea blessed us on our hunt. 
to break our ancient rituals, to seek more vigilantly, to change in the face of our enemies becoming desperate. The room buzzed with excited whispers in response. It moved up closer to Crow, one of its hands running along the few parts of Crow's body that were not wound up in vines. The hand was cold, damp. It was appraising, judging, comparing, reducing the body to a tool, a means to an end. Crow tensed their jaw. We're all just matter. And then it was as if the mayor's words finally sank in, and it must have shown on Crow's face, judging by the row of teeth showing underneath the massive Miss Mare's thin, withered lips. A smile or a warning? So you hadn't thought of that, it whispered, and Crow was sure that none other than themselves could possibly hear it. And yet, in clear response to it, a cackle, loud enough to cause a ringing in Crow's ears, spread like flames through the surrounding horde. The bedlam died down slowly and lingered in panting breaths bouncing against the walls. Crow wished they could retort, like they had managed to do so far. But nothing coherent formed anymore, no words, no wit to be collected. They had expected the Diane's betrayal, only to realize that they had still expected her to keep her word. And they had needed a fucking mistmare to point that out. If they had been stupid enough to buy into the prospect of a promise kept, they deserved whatever was coming for them. And then, another realization came over them, like the sun tumbling over the horizon in the morning. Crow was staring right into it, defeated, blinded. Every attempt at making things right, and they were back where they started. Wrapped in the skein of their own lies, choking on the mounting consequences. Like always. Like every time. Regret. This was irreparable. This was where their choices had led them. This was their agency acted out. This was who they were. Vesh had been right. Neither Lejikai nor Taran liked this, and they both had felt obliged to protest intensely, even though they realized it was their best practically only option. They were travelling in the direction of Crow now, but it had taken some preparation. Firstly, they had needed mounts, but strolling back within the vicinity of Felhart seemed an unnecessary risk. Going through some very poor ideas regarding disguises, and quickly realising that anything they came up with would be things that the ribs would be looking out for, they settled on something else. That something else was finding a ghost Vesh could ask about the surroundings. He tried to explain to Lidika and Taran how surroundings remembered, how some ghosts stuck around as parts of the place where they had lived, even if they had died a very long time ago, and that sometimes they were willing to share what they knew. Lidika had simply wanted to know whether finding some ancient ghost of the surroundings was as quick as it had been to communicate with the recently dead messenger or not. Vesh had, sheepishly, admitted that it was not. Knowing what the later, bigger plan entailed, Lidikai had insisted very firmly that Vesh would do this particular communication to find the slow way, and not get anywhere close to a dagger. They would just have to find someone who had died recently. Chance happened to be with them. Vesh couldn't help smiling at the back and forth about moons and cosmic luck and how ridiculous it was respectively from Taran and Lidikai when Vesh found a suitable ghost as quickly as he did. It was a peaceful Ori who had come out into the forest to say goodbye to the world of the living and who was happy to tell Vesh what they had seen. 
However, Besh was flung out of the communication rather quickly upon collecting the necessary information. That was not the ghost's fault, he stressed. The reason he couldn't stay in the communication was that the ghost had showed him something he hadn't expected at all. The murdered and half-eaten messenger they had found face down beside the Alva Trail was an aftermath of something that had to do with Crow after all. Her murderers were Crow's capturers. Seeing them again, even in the hazy memory state the ghosts shared, had scared Vesh to the point of losing concentration entirely. With help of a stained, bleached, but hopefully still accurate, map of Runa that Taryn pulled out of her satchel, they found a small village in the direction they were heading, where they could recuperate before setting out proper the dawn after. And, Taryn decided, steel mounts if that would be necessary. Lydica came up with at least five reasons that wouldn't be necessary. Carefully stabbing holes in every one of Lydica's reasons, Taryn ended up convincing them that her larceny plan was the best one after all. The three of them arrived in the evening at the little village, which apparently had no name, but some inhabitants called it the village. Lydica found that either confusing or arrogant, seeing as there were probably a thousand villages in Dimmiri. What made this one deserve the definite article? Taryn had just sort of stared at Lejikai when he asked that, as if it became the last straw on a very large heap of absurdity, and she had actually laughed. Her laugh was a tired but grateful sound, and she had clapped Lejikai on the back to signal a thanks. Perhaps it will be the village we call the village if we survive all this, huh? she had said, sinking down on the bedroll she had put in between the two beds of the room in the hayloft, which was the place that sufficed as an in-room for travellers to the village. Vesh had taken out a notebook and was deeply entranced in writing something, hunched over in a position that gave Lidikai back pains just watching it. He was muttering things under his breath as he was writing, and it made Lidikai smile. Apparently he did the same thing himself, if one were to believe the people who had walked in on him doing research. Tell us, Taryn said. It was directed at Lidikai. She was sitting up on her bedroll, looking right at him. He instantly threw down his eyes. Heard Vesh abruptly stop his scribbling the rhythmic, distant chewing of animals underneath them, which had up until now been calming, turned into a maddening countdown to when he was going to open his mouth. I was... He had fully intended to continue as soon as he had begun, but it still trickled away into a shudder. He had to pick a place to start. It felt like tumbling backwards, being dragged through a bramble hedge. It was Dalom Kensarum Manorim, the 72nd, a secus. It had been... It had been tense for a while. There had been four meetings, just that moon face around me, around my, um, my conduct. My students were complaining... The preceptors had been scaling my lectures back for years. We never talked about it. I was just handled the schedules with more and more research time, less lectures and pointed, marked off time for practice with one of the preceptors. I was supposed to have left those needs ages ago. Everyone knew it. I was a burden. Had been ever since they realized how badly I failed at any endeavors in abstract magic. I went from being a fluke to a considerable problem. He took a breath, realizing that stopping even for that was a bad idea. He kept staring at the space between Taryn's feet on the floor as he continued. 
I was obviously forbidden from practicing even the basics on my own, and also in the small groups we registrars were supposed to partake in, where abstract magic was experimented with. Instead, I was assigned private tutoring for it with one of the preceptors. Preceptor Chaval. He felt as if he was watching himself from the other side of the room. He was harsh. Disappointed. There had been a lot riding on my being accepted to Egelin. Potential expectations. I was supposed to be a lot of things. It had turned out I wasn't. Jafal made me understand it was all down to my arrogance. I had it too easy, had been coddled up until now. He wasn't wrong. I hadn't run into a single problem, always at the front of the class, barely had to study or practice. So, we practiced. Cold showers of preceptor Chaval's water magic choking him ten breaths at a time. Silences where he was expected to perform without knowing what. More water, ice cold, sharp, like blades. Fire. Fire stopping it, countering, burning, too hot, eating clothes, ice, skin. The smell of his own flesh burning. I was tired. I kept failing. Nothing worked. I lost control. Fire was enormous. Waves of heat pulsed through him, and he was immensely grateful for being more exhausted than he had perhaps ever been right now. I ran. The sound of munching somehow managed to become even louder, grating against the inside of his skull. It went on for an eternity. He lost count of his quick, strained breaths. Why did you run, Lujikai? That time in the graveyard. Tyrant's voice cut through the hayloft like an alien presence. There was no specific tone there, no accusation, no indignation, not even a hint of smugness indicating she wanted to put him on the spot. If he didn't know better, Lady Kai would have even said she sounded scared. Or sad. I wish... Lady Kai started, after a long pause following Taryn's question, jumping from the taut height that finally revisiting Eilitis had put his nerves on. Would have preferred landing somewhere else. He still felt completely detached from his own body. His mouth tasted like ashes, his skin weirdly tight and dry, a headache pounding through every limb, dismissing the edges of his actual head. I wish I could stick to what I've been trying to convince myself of since then. That I don't know. But I do. I know. But it will sound... He sighed. It might make it worse. I told you I'm over it. I can take it, she said flatly. I hope that's true, Lydikai said carefully. Taryn simply scoffed in return, rolling her eyes. She was picking at her cuticles. Lydica cleared his throat, watched the hay dust hanging thick in the air look everything he didn't feel now, carefree, calm, weightless. Manorim's pale red light came in from the cracks in the ceiling of the barn, overtaking Kensaro, who was hidden behind a large cloud. Do you remember? He cleared his throat harsher, not having been successful the first time. Do you remember what we had done that day? Taryn threw out her hands in a gesture that betrayed frustration more than her voice did. Um, I don't know. I don't remember anything in particular. I guess planning the night, where to go, syncing up with guard schedules, that sort of thing. Since that's what we usually did before a raid. 
Did something happen? Lady Kai made a noise that tried to be a laugh, but ended up sounding like a groan. Yes, and no. It's one of those things that... If it happened today, I might not even remember it. He shook his head. No. It's just... It was a culmination of a very long line of things, and it's difficult to remember those things. Why did everything come out in the wrong way when he tried to talk about this? He sighed even more purposefully, deciding to get this over with, trying to deny how prominent the smell of fire was turning yet again. We had an argument. As you might remember, it was common for us to have those. I'll be honest, I don't remember where it started, but you said that that I was too sensitive to ever be accepted by an institute, so I shouldn't even try. And the way I remember it, this was at the end of a very involved discussion on the subject, though, honestly, I don't know if that's true. Taryn waited for him to continue. He didn't. And she tried. He frowned, fighting to keep his head clear. Well, I was I was very upset with you, which, yes, no, I didn't tell you, of course I didn't, and even if it showed in some way, I suppose you were really used to me being upset after one of our arguments, so I don't think you would have noticed that I was at my limit this time. Sure, I suppose, yes, Taryn said, making everything sound like a frustrated question. Lady Kai looked at Taryn, who looked back at him. He broke the contact off fast with an apologetic smile. When the gods found us, I was seething. I was so very, very upset with you. All I could think about was how you didn't care about how you hurt me, how I couldn't understand how I could be so affected by something, something you seemed to have already forgotten. Forgotten you had even said. Yeah, yeah, I remember you talking about the structure of the soil I dug into, what the different layers of mud meant. I remember staring into that fucking soil, fantasizing about spearing you on the shovel. Lady Kai stopped for a breath before continuing in a quieter voice and a not very successful, jocular tone. Not actually spearing you on it, of course. Taryn's eyes were wide open. Her eyebrows raised. And that was reason enough to leave me to what could at the time only be judged to be a certain death. I am trying to tell you that I was in a state where I was obviously not thinking straight, Didikai said loudly, unhappy with how much this took him back. I didn't stand there thinking, he continued. Oh, wonderful, finally a situation where I can get Taryn killed, how I have waited. He felt anger, but not in that way that used to make him excited when fighting with Taryn. Rather in a way that just made him afraid. He waited for, expected, the usual trickle of fire around his fingers. Reflexively keeping them where he could not set fire to the entire bed. Then he realized they were in a hayloft. He had to keep this under control. Everything he had thought to be a limit had been passed so long ago, his entire idea of a frame of reference seemed absurd. He took a deep breath and closed his eyes. As he did so, he felt that fuzzy border to Vesh again. That surprised him. This time it was clearer, less deniable. Vesh seeped into him where he sat across the room. It felt like the still edge of a calm lake, like dipping your feet into ice-cold water to cool off. The usual trickle of fire around his fingers didn't come. As he opened his eyes and talked again, his voice was steadier than before. He didn't dare look at Vesh. I was in a place where I didn't feel that you deserved me being kind to you. And I acted on impulse. He swallowed. And you didn't come back. 
Taryn said, with less emotion than Lady Kai would have hoped. That too felt too reminiscent of the past. The, as always, was so strongly implied he immediately had trouble remembering whether that was something she had said out loud or not. As always, as you still wouldn't. The expected fire continued to keep at bay. A comfortable coolness rested around the worried fire in his veins. As you said, he said, realising he was grinding his teeth every breath he was not speaking. I had left you to a certain death. Silence fell for a while, the calm munching of hay dissonantly cutting through it. And I did come back to check. Lydikai continued, after having pulled his legs up towards his chest and folded his arms around them. He felt like a set of bones on strings, uncomfortable with how his limbs touch each other. Not in person, obviously, but I did find out that you were alive, or I wouldn't have known where to look for you now. Taryn nodded a tiny affirmative gesture towards him, a nod that said he shouldn't take pride in doing the absolute bare minimum. He sighed, frustrated. You said you hadn't thought about it since then, so why do you care anyway? He muttered, not sure he wanted an answer. Of course I thought about it. On occasion. I mean, especially right after, in a hospital, with little else to do. She said with notable derision. But I don't wallow, Lydie. I move on and try to deal with what's currently in front of me instead. It's kept me alive so far. <laughs> what, keeping you alive in the life-threatening dangers of running a clinic in a city? Lydikai sneered, tired of feeling vulnerable in the face of Taryn's familiar, callous tone, and also very familiarly, instantly regretting it. Okay, talk over, Taryn said with a sharp sigh standing up. Thanks for telling me, she continued, despite the finality of her previous comment but maybe it would have been better not to know, she said with a smile that seemed inappropriate to Lady Kai. I'm going to breathe some night air that is not full of hay for a bit, she concluded, and proceeded to climb down the rackety ladder from the loft. Lady Kai felt hollowed out. He furiously scratched his nails against his scalp, getting his fingers tangled in his hair and just left them there breathing down into the dusty fabric of his trousers, eyes closed, listening to the air, becoming condensation on his face. Fuck. He whispered after a while, his head sinking further down into the darkness behind his bent legs. He almost fell asleep right there, fingers entwined in his hair, face warm and clammy, pointy back curved and grating against the wooden wall. Then he heard the sound of pages being ripped out of a notebook. The Jikai looked up and was met by Vesh, having walked over on silent feet, now handing him a few papers. Looking at them, he couldn't stop a spontaneous smile. Vesh's handwriting was absolutely impeccable. Every letter a precise little artwork, every written line straight enough to be used as a ruler. It's instructions, um, no, information. Things you can do if you feel, if it's difficult to maintain contact with me tomorrow. Small things, simple things, that can keep you anchored. That, he nodded towards the notes, was easier than talking. He sighed aside that Lady Kai was starting to learn was exhaustion from trying to find the right words. Before Vesh went back to the bed that Lady Kai supposed was just as back-shatteringly soft as the one he was on, he, seemingly absent-mindedly, brought a hand to Lady Kai's head in a caress over his hair. It was a comforting motion that drew a small, grateful sigh from Lady Kai's scrunched-up form. It was kind but it still clashed badly with a ball in his stomach that the conversation with Taryn had left. Bitterly, he realised that it wasn't just the motions of the argument with Taryn that had been familiar. The guilt 
sat in like an intimate knife to the chest. He couldn't reason with himself, couldn't forgive either of them. Everything went in circles. Every single emotion was confused. Sadness went into anger, went for the neck of regret, stumbled over fear. Crippling, choking fear, twisted in all the memories. Sometimes, when he had managed to stack small accomplishments on top of each other working in the Institute, he had felt that he was worth just as much as anyone. That he could allow himself to feel as if he deserved happiness. He had managed to get acquainted with that feeling well enough. He had had time, and in hindsight, he had actually spent it well on occasion. But this infected back and forth had reminded him of everything else. Everything he had just shoved away. Everything that eventually led to him setting a whole wing of Eglin on fire. Right here, right now, it was very difficult to recall any worthwhile accomplishment at all. Like an offended reminder, he again felt a trickle of vesh in his periphery, behind his closed eyelids, outside of the uncomfortable body, like a drop of water in ink on a paper, dissolving the tight core, diluting the sharp edges. Everything was perhaps not, after all, the same. In their walk from Falhar, they had mostly been quiet, all three of them. Sometimes they had formed pairs, duos of conversation the third one at the moment wasn't able to be part of, thoughts heavy and distracting. Lady Kai had been the one to be quiet the most. Did Taran tell you what happened to the inn? Lady Kai said. He had finally realized that he couldn't go without knowing. Everything out, now or never. Vesh looked over at him, meeting his gaze steadily, calmly. How did he do that? He nodded at Lady Kai, who could not do as Vesh and keep his eyes steadily locked into the fog walkers. I'm sorry, Vesh said eventually. Lady Kai looked up at him again. Then he sighed, letting go of the tension in his face in defeat. Not sure I deserve that. No, I... A frustrated sigh shot out of Vesh that sounded very much like one of Lijikai's. I was the one who said, asked for that. I said, without thinking of the consequences. As if that is... He paused. I will not forgive myself for that. Lydica heard that Vesh's voice became more strained the further he went. A stifled swallow shut the last sentence off. I thought you meant condolences for the destruction I caused, Lydica said, chuckling dryly. You should forgive yourself. Despite his previous heavy tone, Vesh's eyes narrowed in amusement a faint one. Is that not... You do not feel a little hypocritical saying that, he said, the five metal studs of his eyebrow rising slightly. Lidika balked. I don't... I... He felt hollow again, put against a wall, at loss for thoughts. It is tragic, Vesh said when Lidika didn't continue. The way it turned out. The way I am sure some people got hurt. Some people who did not deserve, who did not incite. At the core is the violence, the actions of the ribs of Calopis. Had their actions happened to other people, not me, not you, the outcome would have been different. But it was not. And you feel remorse, as do I. We can wallow in it. Or we can accept it. Not, not move on as blindly. He stopped for a bit longer than usual, sighing, raising his hands at himself. I don't think Taran's way of doing things is the best solution, at least not to the degree she is doing it. Then again, I am not her. I need to think 
about my actions, the things I do that I do not like, and try not to do them again. You are right. I should forgive myself, and I will, when I am done making sure I have learned what I can from this moment, to try and not make the same mistakes again. He fell silent. His eyebrows were his tell that he had tried to convince himself as much as he had tried to convince Lidikai. He looked very tired, wide shoulders slumping. Lidikai let out a long, loud sound, startling Vesh, who just stared at the fire mage on the bed opposite him. When he was out of breath, Lidikai looked up at Vesh again with a tired, sincere smile. I thought me having finally found my way to abstraction would make it different. The, um, relation to fire different. It was my only way out. My last solution to everything. Even after everything you taught me about it, I was something else than pretty much everything I knew. I still believed, well, hoped, that it must be different now. It wasn't. I knew even before I let go that it wouldn't be. I left the Institute to prevent this from ever happening again. His face had stiffened, turned into a grimace, a sharp smell of fire. Neither of them said anything for a while. The munching sound from downstairs wasn't as jarring as before. My volatility is different from yours, Besh said slowly, seemingly trying to choose every word carefully instead of having to change it. But I understand, I think, the want to be rid of it. Didikai suspected what Vesh would say next. He knew he needed to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. The solution is not that. You need tools, yes. But they are not tools of removal, Vesh said. I guess I'm starting to realize that, Lidikai said quietly. Kensaro's blue light had finally managed to mingle with Manorim's. The hayloft bathed in a faint, cold purple light. As Tyron came back and curled up on the bedroll on the floor with a loud grunt, Lidikai felt strangely calm about the coming morning. It would be dangerous and the uncertain variables were practically uncountable. But there was a constant trickle around him now, like strangely soft, static electricity that made everything seem just a little bit safer.